I'm sure you've heard this um, thing. It's Confucius um, who said something like, "What you do not wish for yourself, do not do to um, do not do to others. What you do not wish for yourself, don't do it to others." And that's known as the silver rule because it's not as good as the golden rule that Jesus has um, in Matthew 7:14. This is how Jesus summarizes um, uh, the, the law and the prophets. He says in Matthew, sorry, Matthew 7 verse 12, "Do to others as you would have them do to uh, to you." Uh, and even if you do did that, those two rules, silver rule and the golden rule, don't do um, to others uh, if you do, you uh, don't. Sorry, what you do not wish for yourself, don't do, don't do to others, and actually doing the things that you would wish for yourself, even if you did that in your workplaces, your workplace would change, wouldn't it? Um, it's a, uh, there might be more uh, people being on time, there might be uh, more professionalism, more laughter, more gifts, I don't know. Um, there are all kinds of things that your workplace will change if you do, did those two simple things. But silver rule, golden rule, I'm going to tell you another rule that's, I'm going to call it a platinum rule. Um, I went ring shopping a while ago and I found out that actually platinum is more expensive than gold. And so platinum rule, uh, which this passage implies, this passage implies this rule. The rule is, do to your bosses, do to your uh, subordinates, do to your colleagues, as you would have, uh, as you would do for Jesus. Treat others as you would treat Jesus. And that's what this passage implies, because every, pa- every single verse in this passage has Christ in it. Right? It's very Christ-centered passage. See, just take a look. In verse 5, 5, it's at the end of that verse. Um, just as you would obey Christ. Obey your masters as you would obey Christ. And verse 6 tells the slaves to work as slaves of Christ. Verse 7 tells the slaves to serve their masters as you would serve Christ. Verse 8 tells us it's the Lord Christ who will reward us on how faithful that we've been. In verse 9, masters are reminded that both they, the masters, and the slaves have one master, the same master, Christ. Every verse has Christ in it, 5 to 9. Every verse has Christ in it, and it's a Christ-centered verse. It's the, the gist of it is that we should be treating people, our bosses and our, 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 our subordinates, our colleagues, as we would treat Christ. I don't know if you've um, thought about it this way, but behind every work, behind every person is Jesus Christ. And I think that's the first point. Because God is a working God. God is God who created work for us. Remember how last week, how God works. Um, he's a working God who creates people. Um, with he, the uh, God who gets his hands dirty. And, and he creates uh, people and then f- it says, fill it and subdue it and work it and take care of it. Once again, he's not just talking about doing evangelism, doing sort of spiritual work, but he's talking about doing education, accounting, taking care of children and banking and lawyering or whatever it is that you do. That's part of God's plan. God is a working God who created us to work. And behind that work is, is, is Christ. Because, uh, and secondly, behind every work is Christ, not only because God created work, but also, I think it's, we're in the first point there, yeah. Uh, because, um, uh, because God created work, God created us, and God has placed us in the right places for work. 
This is what Paul says to Athenians in chapter 17 of Acts. Um, he says, from one man he from one man came every, every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. From the very beginning, God determined the exact time and the place where you should live. This also means where you should work, what you should be doing. God has determined the exact time and the place where you should be living and working. God cares, and God has placed you wherever you are in his God's sovereignty. That's what, if, This means that whether you are thinking about changing jobs right now and moving to a different place like the Kiltis are, um, whether, um, whether you like your job or not, that's the place where God has placed you. And you could be serving Jesus Christ in your workplace right now. God cares for these things because, as the, um, I um, didn't quote it here, but because earth, the whole earth is God's and everyone and everything in it. And whole, every work is Christ. Behind every work is Christ. Behind every, every one is Christ. And Christ has placed you in the place that, 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 that you are. And therefore, in verse 8, Paul tells us that actually it will be, your work will be audited by God. That Jesus Christ cares for your work, how you have done your work. And he says in verse 8 that we will be rewarded for whatever good that we have done. And this isn't just talking about moral and ethical decisions. This is talking about how slaves obey their masters. This is about how they do the work, the work that they do. Whether you have done the work wholeheartedly, devotedly, you've done the work with integrity. All of that is part of that uh, that reward that he's talking about in verse 8. God is the ultimate boss of your work. God is the ultimate auditor. God is the ultimate evaluator of, uh, of your work. And just as there is an end of the year sort of evaluation maybe in your workplace, at the end of the day, when Jesus comes back, God will re- evaluate how you have done your work and reward you accordingly. I don't know, some of you are immediately thinking, but he, you don't know what my, boss is, what my boss is like. You don't know what my company is like. You don't know how lazy my subordinates are like. But I'm guessing that it's, it's a, uh, probably not as bad as working, for, uh, working as a slave in the first century. Roman Empire, don't you think? They had power over you, um, power to physically abuse you if they wanted to. But even in that situation, Paul says, work and serve them as you would serve Christ. And Paul clearly also anticipates lazy workers as well because he says, look, look, there will be people who, um, he says to the slaves, don't work uh, to please their, uh, please their masters and, and work when you're seen. Work until, uh, when you're not seen. And, um, in that, uh, the, in, 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 in the warning to the masters, he says, treat them as, um, as, treat your slaves as you would treat, um, as they, they, they treat you in the same way. Um, sorry. I, w- I am going to address this question of um, what if you work for a really bad company, really wa- bad for a bad boss. I'm going to uh, address that at the end. So if you can shelve um, that until the end, I will address it. Um, but I want to, before we go on, uh, think about the implication of what it means to work for Jesus in everything. So I'll do the two implications, and then I'll address the, the, um, 
the issue of working for a really bad company or for a bad, bad boss. The first implication of this, having Jesus as our CEO, as Jesus as our ultimate boss, is that when we work for Christ, that there are no menial jobs. No menial job. Every job matters, and every one matters as a result. We live in a culture um, where what we do determines our value. Usually when I meet a person, I ask people what they do, and it's usually because I'm just curious about what they do for a living and because what they do might tell me a little bit about who they are. But sometimes in that conversation, um, it might take a slightly different turn because if this person says, oh, I, I do this, and I think, oh, wow, that's an impressive job. Or if somebody says, oh, I do this, and I think, oh, that's not so, not, not so important uh, job. Um, almost instantly and almost subconsciously, it takes these turns. And I'm ashamed to say that it happens in my mind. I'm, I'm sure it happens in your mind as well. And But both treating people better or treating people worse because of what they do are, 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 are wrong. Because though our jobs are important, Paul tells us that who we are is completely determined by who we work for, our relationship with Jesus Christ, who we serve. Did you see how slaves are valued in this text? How slaves are valued in this text? See how great importance uh, Paul puts in, 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 in slaves' work. He says, look, um, he tells them to obey their masters as they obey Christ, to serve them as they are serving the Lord. He frees them from this plane and says, what you do is that you're obeying the will of God. He gives them the big, bigger picture in verse 6. And he says, you are obeying Christ in, the, in, in, in what you do. They are working for God. And actually, who you work for matters a lot. You can be a PA um, anywhere, but if you are a PA to Jesus Christ, right, that it gives you the value because you are, you are a person who works for Jesus Christ. Serving Christ gives us value no matter what our job, uh, job is because we're serving Christ in our job. In a similar vein, did you see how also Paul demolishes this hierarchy of jobs? Basically, in the, the passage in verse 8 makes it very, very clear that whether you are working for a, a big, you, you are a big, you're a CEO of a big company, or you are um, just a, a, a caretaker or groundkeeper, you're all employed by the same Lord. And therefore, there's no hierarchy of jobs. And it's true that the slaves are told to obey their masters. It's true that they are asked them to, asked to serve their masters wholeheartedly. But there is that revolutionary sentence in verse 9. Take a look at verse 9 and what he says. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. He just told the slaves to do all these things. And to the masters, he says, treat them in the same way. It's not, there's no cryptic code here. Paul just um, is saying that there is no hierarchy of jobs here. Whether you're a master or you're a slave, you are to treat each other in the same way, to respect them and to serve them. We have different roles and we have different tasks, but they do not make us more or less valuable. We all have the same Lord, and we will all, we all, uh, we will all face the same judgment. 
and their arrogance and the feeling of superiority or inferiority are both out of place. And there's no place for favoritism either. So um, I think in our workplaces, I'm sure you've been in situations like this. We think a lot of ourselves time to time, don't we? Um, we think that we're maybe above doing certain tasks. Oh, our boss, my boss asked me to do this. I can't believe this is happening. That sort of thing. We think we're above it because there are people who are below us who are supposed to do these jobs. But what Paul is saying is there's nothing that's below your task because there's nothing that's below us. Everyone is working for the same person. There's no rationale also for treating people as people who are below us in any sense. It's okay, obviously, to um, hold people accountable to the jobs that they're doing, and that's part of your job. Um, it's okay um, uh, to, to ask people to do their jobs better, especially if that is your, your job. But there's no rationale. There's, it, we cannot treat people or, uh, as people who are below us in any sense at any point. And when you, uh, there's another implication, I think, of this, that if you take away the social hierarchy of jobs, I wonder if it would free you to take a different job. Because when so many people choose jobs for themselves, I'm especially talking to the young people here, especially when, when people take jobs, people are looking for jobs, it's a lot of times it's because of the social standings that this job has. Because if I take this job, then it would give value because I would feel good about myself. But what this passage says is every job is valued if you work for Jesus. Every job, your value comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ, not from the specific task that you do. And I wonder then if you would, do, if you would be freed to do the things that you love, to utilize the God-given talents and God-given passions, things that you are passionate about, and because you think that you can serve Jesus better in that job, not because of the sense of value that it would give to you. What this passage says is that every job matters, and your value is determined by your relationship with Jesus Christ and no, and no other. So every job matters. Every, every one matters. And the second implication of this passage is that also every task matters. Serving Christ affects the way that we should do our work, way we work. Um, just look at how Paul spells uh, these things out. So let's take a look at verse 5. He says uh, there, Paul, Paul says, Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. With respect and fear. In the sister passage in Colossians, Paul says, Do your work with reverence for the Lord. What he's asking us to do is to work respectfully. To have respect for our bosses, but later on he says, do the same for, um, the, 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 he asks the same for the bosses as well, for the masters as well. To respect the people that we work with. Reverence for the Lord, he says. Maybe that would control the way that we gossip, the gossip in the workplaces. Maybe if you think this is not respectful, maybe we would curb our gossips or the way that we talk to our subordinates or our bosses. He also goes on to say, uh, in verse 5, that we should be working with sincerity of heart, sincerity of heart as we would obey Christ. 
How many ways how, do our hearts divide um, when we're asked to do things by our bosses? It means that we are to do these things devotedly, wholeheartedly, without hypocrisy, without ulterior motives. We are to get rid of half-heartedness in our work, to devote ourselves to the task. And then he talks about integrity in verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. I mean, this passage tells us that people haven't changed in 2,000 years. I work certainly better when other people's eyes are on me, and I'm sure you do as well. It's saying, is our character shaped by Christ? Are we working as if Christ is our boss, serving uh, Christ wholeheartedly? Um, Johann Sebastian Bach, obviously, was a great composer, but also he was a great Christian. And after he would complete his masterpieces, he would put um, SDG at the end of his manuscripts. Actually, this one, I couldn't find his, uh, his, the manuscript with, with his signature. This is um, Handel, the, um, the guy who wrote uh, Messiah. Anyway, but same thing happens with Bach as well. SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. In the end, what Paul is asking us to do is to do approach every task as a matter that will bring glory to Jesus Christ, to bring glory to God. Every work, whether it's composing uh, uh, great cantatas or it's child-rearing, software engineering, legal work or cooking or child-rearing, teaching, we work for God's glory. And we should be working in a way that will bring God's glory. We're not putting literally SDG at the end of the things that we write, but we are, we should be working and saying at the end of every work, SDG, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. And when we work with that sort of integrity, diligence, and devotion, we will do excellent work. And I know that in workplaces, excellence matters. It's a great testimony to being a Christian, wouldn't it, if you are good at your job. At the very least, working for Christ, doing, working in this way with integrity, diligence, and devotion, all of that would, would make you a person that other people would want to work with. If you're a Christian, you should make an excellent colleague because you work with humility and kindness and patience, integrity, and the work ethics that you have because we serve Christ, and other people might, should want to work with you. I'm told a long time ago, um, New York Times wanted section was filled with all sorts of um, I think, ad- adverts like this. Christian nurses wanted, Christian secretaries wanted, Christian whatever job wanted. There was just an understanding that by the culture that Christians would wor- do the job better. Because they were Christians, and of course, such a thing wouldn't be allowed anymore um, in this culture, but I wonder what your non-Christians think of Christians because of the work that you do in your place. Do they think that you work with diligence, with integrity, with wholeheartedness, devotedly, because you are a Christian? 
But once again, you are thinking, I know, um, there's, there's that lingering question. Well, I don't really work for Jesus. I mean, if I work for Jesus, I would do this. But what if my boss is more like Mr. Burns? And Simpsons, according to Wikipedia, and I'm, I'm sorry to say, actually, Mr. Burns, uh, I'm sorry to say that lots of my sermons, too much of my content comes from Wikipedia, uh, but this is what, what Wikipedia says about Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns is a stereotype of corporate America in his unquenchable desire to increase his wealth and power, inability to remember his employees' names, and lack of concern for their safety and well-being. He's known for his trademark expression, Excellent. What if you work for Mr. Burns? What if your boss doesn't care uh, much about your well-being, your, um, your integrity, and all, all of that? The first thing I want to say is that there are some jobs that Christians should, shouldn't do. Some companies we shouldn't work for. What that line isn't always clear. The Bible gives a lot of good guidelines on how to choose the job and how to do your work, but you will ultimately have to make that decision yourself. But for reference, I want to say the heroes of the Bible have had all sorts of jobs, haven't they? I mean, some are obviously holy jobs like being kings and priests and, 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 and uh, uh, prophets. But others uh, are farmers, fishermen, carpenters, teachers, uh, government officials. And I want to mention especially Daniel. Daniel had a very interesting job. Uh, he was promoted in, in, in chapter 2, verse 28. Really, in the language of Harry Potter, um, he was the head of the Ministry of Magic. He becomes in charge of all the wise men of the Babylonian Empire. Wise men, at the time, weren't doing uh, Christian things. These are people who had different religions and were serving different gods. He was in charge of ministry of magic in Babylonian Empire. And we'll talk about Daniel uh, a bit more in January 20th, having that sort of integrity, how, where that line is a bit more. But having said that, what your company does is important is important, and we need to make sense of how that, what we do uh, uh, fits into God's overall plan of taking care of this whole earth, running this whole, whole earth. We need to think about that. And once again, I want to ask you, how many of you know what your, the mission statement of your company is? And how, many, how much of that matters to you when you choose job? Once again, especially to the young people who will be looking for jobs, find out what the mission statement of the company is and what the company stands for and what it does. And you need to make sense out of that, a sense, a sense of, of how, how does what the company does fit into God's mission of taking care of this whole earth. Timberland is a shoe company that has a unique mission statement. It says, our mission is to equip people to make a difference in their world. We do this by creating outstanding products and by, making, uh, by trying to make a difference in the communities where we live and work. They say in their website they're devoted and committed to protecting the environment, making great products, improving the, the, the lives of the factory workers, and engaging in their communities. I know that in Timberland, they give you time off if you want to do community service. I mean, it's, it's, it would be a great company to work for, wouldn't it? Many of us choose our jobs based on just purely salary, prestige. But do you take time to find out what the company does, how, what it stands for, how it might fit into God's plan? 
And can you live with that mission statement of the company? Can you make sense out of the nature of the job, how it fits into God's plan? But no matter what your job is, it's not just the nature of the job, right? There are lines within the job that you shouldn't cross. Uh, for Daniel, it wasn't not eating the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. He didn't want to cross that line. I don't know what it is for you, but the principles need to be very clear. You need to know, once again, this passage affirms again and again that you are working for Jesus. You are working for Jesus. And most of the times, hopefully, that goes again, uh, goes with your, what your company is doing, what your boss is asking you to do. But sometimes it will conflict. And at that point, you have to make it very clear to yourself and to other people that you are serving Jesus Christ, that you will not cross the certain lines because you serve Jesus. And finally, I want to say, actually, that tension of working for a secular company, even in a Christian company, working in this world, there will always be that sort of tension There will be some good things about the job. There will be some good things about the company, but there will also be some bad things about the job. You will live with that tension for the rest of your life because this isn't the new creation. This isn't the perfect world. We have fallen. The companies have fallen. The world has fallen, and the work itself is cursed in many ways. We will live, we'll have to live with the tension. And you can feel the tension in this passage too, can't you? Because... Paul is speaking to slaves. Paul is speaking to masters and slaves. And you can sense that Paul is uneasy about this whole thing about slavery. On the one hand, once again, he tells the slaves to obey their masters. But then to the master, he says, you should treat your slave the same way that your slaves treat you. That's a radical thing to say. He's uneasy with this inequality, and we don't have time to go into Philemon, book of Philemon, but the tension is made very clear in that short book, short letter. He calls um, uh, slaves brothers. He hints very strongly um, that the, the um, Philemon, the owner, should free Onesimus, the, the, the slave. He says, look, this is your brother. You should treat, treat him like one. He hints very strongly that he should free um, Onesimus. I think he doesn't say it outright for a couple of different reasons. First is just the fact that I want to say the slavery in, in the first century was very different than slavery of the North America um, and that harsh slavery. First, um, it wasn't based on race. Um, it wasn't based on race. Um, it was, some slaves had fairly high social standings. You could be a doctor, you could be an accountant, you could be a manager as a slave. Um, and you could also buy your way out of slavery in that culture. And so maybe it wasn't so urgent for Paul. But more importantly, I think Paul is picking and choosing his fight. He knows that Christianity is a very small religion um, at the time. And the, it, the muscle isn't there to change the whole world just quite yet. But you see how he sows the gospel seeds here that will blossom on later on, right? He sows the the seed of equality that's there. And in fact, William Wilberforce and other Christians will go back to passages like this and other passages and it says, there should not be slavery. This institution needs to go away. It needs to be abolished. But for Paul, at that point, he lives with the tension, 
He lives with the tension. This institution is fallen, but he's sowing the gospel seeds within the structure of slavery. And our workplaces won't be perfect places. Since work itself is cursed, people have fallen. And we need to live under, in, in this world means that we need to, um, that in some ways we'll be participating in sinful structures, sinful institutions in this world. But maybe you are an important person in your job. Maybe you have the power to change. If you are given the opportunity to change, please do take the opportunity to change the culture of your company. To do things differently. And know that you are placed in that job because, uh, because God has that sort of plan for you in that job. But maybe you are an entry-level worker and you just think, ah, I can't make any difference. But actually, bring the tension, bring that sort of tension, I hope, into your workplace. I hope you will do your jobs differently because you are serving Christ. And I hope other people will feel that tension um, because you are serving Christ, because you are doing things differently within your job. And at certain point, I hope that what you do will blossom into just change of culture within the company. But at the end of the day, even if the whole thing doesn't change, you will not be judged by the amount of change that you brought to the company. You will only be judged by how obedient you have been to Jesus Christ in your workplace. Whether you make a great difference or not, I hope you will obey Jesus in your workplace. You'll bring this gospel tension into this fallen world and into your workplaces. So work for Jesus. Know that you matter because you work for Jesus. And I hope you will work with integrity. You will work with diligence, respect. Even if you work for Mr. Burns and others who are like him. And I pray that everything that you do, that you will do your jobs in the way that will bring glory to God. That at the end of every task, that you will put a mental note, S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. I pray that Christ will be glorified in your workplace. Amen.